Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon. Welcome in, everybody, episode 766 of the podcast, Assuming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Friday, September 15th, 2023, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. And I'll say this. We got through some of the dog days of June, July, and August. It was for days like today. We have so much to talk about. So fired up. For this Friday edition of the Air Tour Sports Podcast, here's what you need to know about today's show. We're going to open. Listen, the plan isn't always to talk about Deion Sanders, but the man remains in the news. Even when he's just trying to get ready for a football game, you saw what the Colorado State head coach said. You saw Coach Prime's response, and we're going to talk about it all. Speaking of talking about it, did you see Nick Saban? He was on Pat McAfee on Thursday Really interesting comments, a little bit about retirement. That was the one that made the headlines, but had some very interesting comments about his team and gave me a tiny little bit of faith that this Alabama team is going to be okay. We'll preview week three. Yes, there are actual games to talk about. Florida, Tennessee, LSU, Mississippi State, Georgia, South Carolina, on and on. And finally, we will wrap with America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, giving my best and worst takes of the week. And trust me, if you listen to my picks last week, Texas, Alabama, uh, A&M, Miami, there were some really, really, really bad ones. So, busy show, fun show, fun Friday edition. There is no more time to waste, so let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, bluntly, as I just said, the plan is not to talk about Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, every single episode. But as I said to lead, this man creates so much emotion in everybody. You have guys like me who love him, think he's been great for college football, think he's been great for kids, think he's been great for Colorado, whatever. You have people that can't stand him. And I think you have a small percentage of people that say like, wow, he's exceeded expectations, but let's see what happens when they play USC and Utah and Oregon next week. So Coach Prime creates quite a bit of emotion in any which direction. And apparently that includes the coach that he is facing this weekend. Don't know how many of you knew the name of the Colorado state head coach prior to Thursday morning, 
but you certainly do now as Jay Norvell, the head coach, Colorado State. Oh, he had some thoughts on Coach Prime, and they were not pretty. By now, you guys and girls all know what was said, but just as a quick refresher for people who do not know, Colorado State is playing Colorado this weekend in Boulder, and on Thursday night, during his coach's show, so basically all the coaches have radio shows on the Tuesday, Wednesday before a game, sometimes Thursday, Norvell was asked about the game, and here is what he had to say. He said, I sat down with ESPN today, and I don't care if they hear it in Boulder, I told them, ESPN, I took my hat off. I took my glasses off, and I said, when I talk to grownups, I take my hat and glasses off. That's what my mother taught me. He continued, they're not going to like us no matter what we say or do. It doesn't matter, okay? So let's go up there and play. That's just how I feel about it. So I don't mean to take over the show, but I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of all the stuff, and I know everybody else is too. So let's go and play. That is what Jay Norvell said on Wednesday night into Thursday morning. Um, Again, essentially basically saying, when I look adults in the eye, I take my hat and sunglasses off. And then when got back to Colorado. And it's funny because I did an update earlier that I was going to run on Friday, but then Coach Prime responded. First, he put out a very kind of innocent tweet on social media, basically said, focus on yourself. It's not about you. But then... Because it's Colorado, because they have the best media team in the country led by Deion Sanders Jr., well-off media put out a couple clips from practice on Thursday. And yeah, you can tell that while they're going to say all the right things publicly, Colorado is not happy. Here's what Coach Prime told his team about the situation. He said, I'm minding my own business watching some film, trying to get ready, trying to get out here to be the best coach I can be. And I look and read some bull junk today that it was said about us. Once again, why would you want to talk about us when we don't talk about nobody? All we do is come out here, work our butts off, and do our job Saturday. But when they give us ammunition, they make us what? To which his players responded, made it personal. It was just going to be a good game. They messed around and made it, the players responded, personal. So Jay Norvell. I don't know if you fully realize what you were doing, but listen, I'm far from a college football coach. I never will be. I'm not here to tell you how to draw up plays or what coverage to call or what player to get the ball in the hands of. But the one thing I can tell you, don't piss off Colorado. Don't piss off Coach Prime. And I think this is about to get ugly. Now, a couple things here. One, in some ways, I actually kind of respect Jay Norvell. I don't think that he fully realized just how big this was going to get, but I think he kind of had an idea, right? You poke the dragon, you poke the bear, you poke maybe the biggest name in college football in Coach Prime, you're going to get a response. And so I I don't have a problem with normal rivalry talk, and I sort of respect that Jay Norvell even went so far as to say, I don't care if they hear it in Boulder. Now, at the same time, I don't think he realized he was going to turn himself into the biggest story in sports. And that's what this is right now. I'm recording here about 5.30 on Friday, uh, Thursday night. My guess is at some point before kickoff, he issues some sort of statement or apology. But listen, at least as of when he said it, he owned it. We don't care if they hear it in Colorado, in, Buff- in Boulder. At the same time, let me say a couple things. One, didn't love it because in my opinion, it went well beyond normal rivalry talk, okay? 
And maybe you guys disagree. Maybe you don't. Whatever. But the bottom line is, look, we're all sports fans. We all played. We all had rivals. We all whatever. And why I bring it up, rivalry talk is the best smack talk, right? Talk about the school. Talk about the players. Talk about the uniforms. Talk about the whatever. Where I don't love what Norvell did here, it didn't strike me as he's talking about Colorado or the school or the rivalry or even necessarily Coach Prime. Did you hear what he said at the end of that sentence? He said, when I talk to grownups, I take my hat and glasses off. That's what my mother taught me. And so to me, this goes beyond football. This goes beyond smack talk. This is talking about a man's family. And we all know the code. We all know how things go uh, off the field. And the one thing you don't do, you don't talk about another man's family. You want to talk about him as a coach, him as a player, the school, the uniforms, the whatever. Don't bring family into it, especially, by the way, when the family isn't even part of the team. And you don't bring a man's mother into it, which is kind of what this implies, right? I was raised right. He was raised wrong. Well, you can forgive Coach Prime for being mad because I would be mad too, and I guarantee you would be as well. By the way, Coach Prime has a great relationship with his mom. If you watch that Amazon Prime show that was out a year ago when he was at Jackson State, there was a couple times he talked to her at halftime. He'd just flat out call her during halftime a game. She'd be watching on TV. She'd say, honey, I love you, but I don't love what you did on third and long uh, in the late first quarter. So Coach Prime has a great relationship with his mother. It does become personal whether you want to or not. But two, I especially don't think this particular team is the one you should go after beyond the fact that I think he took it too far talking about Coach Prime's mom. And that's because you don't want to talk about this team specifically because there isn't a single team in college football that hold, that, 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 that can turn any little slight into something that motivates them quite like this team. Listen, we you know what this almost reminds me of? And I know it's going to sound like hyperbole. It almost reminds me of Michael Jordan and the last dance. Okay, I'm not saying Colorado's the Michael Jordan of college football. I'm not saying Coach Prime is Michael Jordan of college football coaching. But if you watch that documentary, what was the thing Michael Jordan kept saying over and over again? And that's when I took it personal. And that's when I took it personal. And what was interesting about that documentary is there were times where stuff didn't even happen and he'd make stuff up in his head to get himself mad. Remember LeBradford Smith? He claimed, oh, LeBradford Smith, he talked that smack and I came out the next night. Woo, I gave him the work. And then you find out after Michael, actually, they had never said that to him and he had to make that up in his head to get himself motivated. I'm not saying Colorado is making anything up, but they have done a good job of using outside influence to motivate them. Some schools, some coaches say, oh, we don't listen to what's being said outside. Oh, Colorado is listening to everything and they are clearly using it come Saturday. We know about TCU. We know about the fact that they didn't like that Sonny Dykes kept saying, we're tired of hearing about Colorado. We know that Coach Prime kept receipts. Listen to what everybody in the media said. Apparently not me, because I've been mostly complimentary since he got the job. But people don't realize, like, like, they listen to everything. And so he kept his receipts, brought it up for TCU. And then, of course, last week with Nebraska, right? Because, like, my whole thing is, like, Matt Rule is kind of like the most vanilla guy that has ever lived in the history of the world. And so the idea that they found something that he said like six months ago about, oh, I don't have cameras in front of my face all the time. Like, and they kept it and they used it and it motivated them. Like, that's what Colorado does. And that's what they've been very good in doing through two games. 
By the way, this goes back to last year. Do you remember the situation? Uh, Eddie Robinson Jr., who is not the son of the the Grambling State head coach. Uh, Let me look this up real quick. Uh, Eddie Robinson Jr., remember that game? If you don't remember, let me just say it really quickly. Uh, Colorado, or Colorado, Coach Prime was coaching uh, Jackson State at that time. They beat Alabama State really bad. And Eddie Robinson came up or, or earlier in the week had said something like, you're not swack. We don't respect you. And then they got their butt kicked. And so now you're Jay Norvell three days before this game. And I get it's a coach's show. I get you're in a bar with all your fans, but this is not something you say. Not to this team, not in this rivalry, not in this moment. And I think you obviously crossed the line as well by making it personal with the family. So we'll get into our week three preview here momentarily. But I'm not going to beat around the bush in terms of my picks. I already had Colorado, Colorado, Colorado State over 60 and a half as one of my best bets. It's going to get ugly on Saturday. You think that Colorado isn't going to take this personal? You think they're not going to be ready to go? You think they're not going to be ready? to put up points on points on points. Like it became a trending topic on Twitter, Colorado by a hundred, Colorado by 40, whatever it was, they are going to score and score often and make an example out of you. So Jay Norvell, if I can give you one piece of advice, if I can give the nine remaining coaches on Colorado schedule piece of advice, they're good enough without you motivating them. Now I'm not saying they're the best team in college football. I'm not saying they're better than USC or Oregon or whatever. But you think Lincoln Riley is going to be dumb enough to say something before they play Colorado and motivate them? Think Dan Lanning is going to be dumb enough to say something about Colorado and motivate them? Think Kyle Whittingham in a few weeks when they play Utah to end the regular season going to say something dumb and motivate them? Me neither. Jay Norvell, big mistake. And if it gets ugly, you have no one to blame but yourself. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break. When we come back, I actually want to talk about some more comments. These from Nick Saban. On the Pat McAfee Show, found them to be very interesting. Nick Saban talking about his future, but more importantly, this Alabama team. And it sounds like Nick Saban hasn't given up on them yet. Neither should you. Quick break. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. Hi, back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears from some of the on the field stuff. The game's coming up this weekend. And I do want to switch to some interesting comments from Nick Saban on Thursday afternoon about all things Alabama football. So the last time we saw Alabama, I think you all remember, it was not pretty as Texas went into Tuscaloosa and took care of business. 30, 34 to 24 was the final score. Texas fans celebrating in the streets of Tuscaloosa. The SEC chant is ringing out at Brian Denny Stadium. It was really bad, and it raised a lot of questions about this Alabama team. It raised the usual questions of, is the dynasty dead? Is the season over? Is Alabama ever going to dominate again under Nick Saban the way that they have previously? But then it also raised some other interesting questions of, how much longer is Nick Saban going to do this? He's 72 years old. Um, you know, it feels like a lot of the programs that could be a threat to Alabama have the right guy in place, whether it's Kirby Smart at Georgia, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, uh, Brian Kelly at LSU, NIL is changing things, the portal is changing things. How much longer can he do this? Well, on Thursday, he went on the Pat McAfee show, and I thought he actually gave some very, very, very interesting commentary 
about everything going on in his life in college football, but more specifically, um, his program and how they're moving forward. First off, I should address it was the big headline. He was asked about retirement and Nick Saban uh, politely. I don't think he was disrespectful in any way, but brushed that aside and has seemingly zero interest in retiring. Nick Saban told Pat McAfee when asked about retirement, it's kind of laughable. I love what I'm doing, and I'm focused on the challenge. I feel great right now. I love it. We've got lots of challenges this season. I'm looking forward to it, and we're all in. So I know that's going to be the big headline coming out of that interview, but we can go ahead and put the retirement stuff aside now, at least for right now, right? We don't know what's going to happen in the future. If Alabama is three and four at some point, if Alabama's six and six at the end of the year, then yeah, maybe we possibly think retirement, like I think for right now, we could put it aside. It doesn't seem to be very interesting to Nick Saban. I think he loves coaching football, and I think he wants to keep coaching and get this team better. What I did find much more interesting than the retirement conversation, though, he was asked a very interesting question by Pat McAfee about um, how you move forward from this loss. And I thought he gave a very, very, very interesting answer about that. Here's what he said, a little bit of a lengthy quote. He said, you never want to waste a failure. Adversity can break some people. Adversity can make some people great. It just depends on how you deal with it. I think we don't want our players to waste a failing. We want to learn from the experience so they have the opportunity to improve and get better. And we always have a 24-hour rule. If we win, 24 hours. We have to start all over and focus on the next opponent. If we lose, we learn from the mistakes we made. We focus on the next opponent and try to get better. That's how we manage it. It's a privilege to play here. It's a privilege to coach here. And I think there's an expectation that goes with all of that. But I think we should embrace that challenge and everybody should embrace it and be committed to the things they need to do to improve and get better. Let me say this. I know that Nick Saban has shared some version of that message in the past about not wasting failures, get better, put stuff behind us, 24-hour rule. We've heard all that from Nick Saban. I still think that is an incredible message, and I know Alabama fans are frustrated. You're disappointed off that loss, but that is about the perfect answer that you could give in this situation. And it's interesting, right? Because the more that I think about Saturday, the more that I think, listen, we're always going to react and overreact when Alabama loses, and we're certainly always going to react and overreact when Texas picks up a marquee win the way that they did. But the more that I think about it, the more that I think Nick Saban is right. It's one loss. Nothing has been changed. We can still win a national title. We can still win an SEC title. We can still win the SEC West. And the more I think about it, the more I think that that was kind of the perfect scenario for this particular result to happen. Now, did I think they were going to win by 10 points? No. But in hindsight, I'm an idiot because I didn't think it was even going to be close. Why I bring it up. Think about what happened Saturday. First off, and and think about, by the way, why Alabama can put this behind them and still have a successful season. One, Quinn Ewers is the best quarterback Alabama is going to face the rest of the year, okay? You look at the SEC right now. It's a little bit of a mess. Teams will figure it out. But Quinn Ewers, at his best, um, is better than anyone Alabama will face this year. He's better than Connor Wegman, better than Jaden Daniels at LSU, better than whoever, you know, Jackson Dart at Ole Miss, better than Joe Milton at Tennessee. So that's one is they just played the team with the best quarterback that they're going to face all year. They played the team with the best wide receiver core that they will play all year until the postseason. And if they play Ohio state, 
So elite quarterback, elite weapons. And keep in mind, Texas is a really good team. They have as much talent as anybody in college football and as much talent as anyone that Alabama will play all year. Now, you can argue the top 22 at LSU. You could argue Texas A&M, if they actually get coached up a little bit there, are more talented or as talented as Texas. But Texas is as good of a team as they'll see all year. So best quarterback, best wide receivers, uh, best across-the-board talent they'll probably see. And here's the other thing. As bad as it sounds, it wasn't quite as bad as we remember it. We talked about it on Monday's show. Bottom line, everyone can talk about the defense. Oh, the defense this, the defense that. I heard a lot of, it looked a lot like Alabama last year. No, 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 no. Alabama was a disaster last year. Alabama couldn't block. Alabama couldn't defend teams. You know, Tennessee got up like 28 to three on Alabama last year. That's not what happened Saturday in Tuscaloosa. Remember, Alabama actually had the lead in the fourth quarter. They were up 16-13. They held that Texas potent offense to 13 points through three quarters and were in position to win. As I said on Monday's show, I also push back on the narrative that this team, that the O-line stinks again. I don't think the O-line was great. I didn't love J.C. Latham saying that they overlooked Texas. That is unacceptable. But I also think there's a difference, as we discussed on Monday, between a team that is incapable of run blocking incapable of protection in the pocket and a team that is put in a tough position because the other team knows that the quarterback can't beat them with his arm. And that is the thing that I have talked to people about all week across football. Okay. Talk to all sorts of people that are way smarter than me. What I saw on Saturday was the same thing. Everybody else saw. Everybody knows that Jalen Milrow is most dangerous with his legs. Everybody knows that yes, he can hit a deep ball, He can hit one out of three, one out of four, two out of five, but he can't hit the short stuff. He can't hit the intermediary stuff. Tim Tebow even said on this show earlier this week, Jalen Milrow missed a couple wide receivers in the flats. And so Texas's whole game plan was built around, don't let Jalen Milrow beat us with his feet. If he hits one deep ball, that's fine. He's not going to hit five out of six. Not going to hit six out of eight. One deep ball, that's fine, but don't let him beat us with his feet. And that held back the whole running game. And so I still go back with Alabama. I don't think the defense is terrible. I don't think the offensive line is terrible. I hate to say it because I'm sure he's a great kid. I don't think Jalen Milrow is the answer, though, at quarterback, which brings me to the final thing that Nick Saban said, which I thought was very interesting. He was asked about the quarterback situation. Here is what he said. He said, I think the quarterback situation is like position is like every other position. If you want security in your position, you need to play well. It's not a knock on Jalen Milrow. It's just a reality. He was not that good throwing the football on Saturday. Did he throw one beautiful deep ball? He did. But he also had a couple overthrows, a couple bad passes, a couple interceptions, and he finished the game against Texas, 14 of 27, 51% completion percentage, two touchdowns, two interceptions. That is simply not going to get the job done, and I think Nick Saban knows. I don't have all the answers, but it sounds to me like two, I took three things out of that interview. One, he ain't retiring. He ain't going out like this. Two, I don't think he's given up on this season. I think coaches know when you have a team that's good enough to do it or not good enough to do it, as opposed to a team that just needs to fine tune some things. And three, I think he's ready to give Tyler Buckner a chance. I expect to see Tyler Buckner on the field on Saturday. It's what we talked about on Monday's show. Tyler Buckner might not be perfect, but you need a quarterback 
that can complete the short and intermediate passes. You need a quarterback that he doesn't need to be able to throw the ball 60 yards down the field. Can he make the throws that keep the defense honest? I think he can. I think he gets a shot. And I think Nick Saban knows that. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. So it isn't very often that we get three segments and 30 or so minutes into a Friday episode in September without talking the college football weekend slate. This week, though, a little bit different. We had the Norvell versus Prime. We had the Nick Saban comments, and it felt like we could push back a little bit because it was a newsworthy Thursday, but also because of the fact that the, the slate's a little not as great as normal. Zero ranked opponents play each other. It is worth noting, by the way, next week's slate is bananas. Ole Miss at Alabama, uh, Clemson hosting Florida State, Ohio State at Notre Dame, Oregon hosting Colorado. So next week's slate is bananas. We'll have coverage wall-to-wall all week long. Um, this week's a little bit quieter, though. At the same time, I do think there are some interesting games, interesting narratives, especially several teams starting conference play. So let's get into the week three slate. Obviously, the reminder, as always, our college football betting show numbers are through the roof there. Uh, appreciate everybody's support. can get it on Apple, Spotify, also a separate YouTube channel. We really go way more in depth on a lot of these games, six, seven, eight minutes on each. Today, we will be a little bit quicker, though. want to start. Fascinating game with a fascinating point spread. It is the Tennessee-Florida game. Tennessee, a six-and-a-half-point favorite in the Swamp. The over-under set at 58-and-a-half. Why that number is fascinating. Do you know that Tennessee has not won in the Swamp since 2003? 20 years since Tennessee has won in Gainesville, but they're a favorite close to a touchdown against Billy Napier's squad. Now, in terms of the game, listen, we know the narrative, especially from the Tennessee perspective. Who is Joe Milton and what are we going to get from him? We know what the talent is. We've seen it before. We've seen the flashes. And I think to his credit, so far, he's looked pretty good. 21 of 30 passing, two touchdowns against Virginia. Now, admittedly, Virginia is bad, but also admittedly, Tennessee had a few drop balls. There was a couple plays that didn't go their way. I thought they played like a B minus game and they still won convincingly. Took care of Austin P last week. It wasn't pretty, but obviously this is a game on the road, loud, you know, loud crowd. How does Tennessee respond? And oh, by the way, what happens with the run game, which has been very solid so far from the Florida perspective? Listen, I think I'm the only person in America that's a little bit neutral on Billy Napier. Like everybody either loves Billy Napier or thinks he's the worst coach that's ever walked the face of the earth. I think he's going to be okay. But I think he's got a lot of stuff to prove. And this feels like the game. If you're that dude, you can't lose to Tennessee at home in year two. What's interesting about Florida, and I've been thinking a lot about this. They're one and one. Obviously had that Thursday night opener at Utah. It didn't go well. But if you go back and actually look at that game, I don't think it was quite as bad as people remember. They lose 24 to 11. But remember, Graham Mertz had the interception deep in Florida's own territory, which set up a touchdown. And remember, Florida actually outgained Utah in that game. Now, I know Utah had a backup quarterback, and I know many of their best players on defense were unavailable. Junior Tafuna, their star defensive lineman, their best linebacker got hurt early. But if you go back and look at that Florida game, 
And Tim Tebow actually said this on the show. No big deal. Tim Tebow name drop. Tim Tebow said on the show the other day, a lot of their problems were self-inflicted. Penalties at the worst possible time, procedural stuff, stuff that can get cleaned up. And so when I look at this game, I'll be honest, my actually, my best bet, the one that I like is actually the under. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be competitive. And I think both teams actually are going to fight really hard to keep it low scoring. Like Tennessee, we think tempo, 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 tempo. But I also do wonder if from the Tennessee perspective, Joe Milton, road environment, I don't know that Josh Heupel wants to go a million miles an hour. I think they control, I, I think they're a little bit more cautious with how they do things. They run the ball a little bit more. And then from Florida's perspective, I know that they're going to try to control the clock. Billy Napier said it in his Monday press conference. He talked about the tempo. I look at this game. I do. I don't know that I'm picking Florida outright, but I do like the under. And I also believe that this is a game that's going to be close and low scoring. If I had to take a side, I would definitely take Florida State plus the points. In my opinion, Florida covers maybe wins. But the best bet, I think, is the under. I think it's like a 24-21 type game. Maybe Tennessee wins, maybe Florida. I can't, I, I'm not going to pick a side because I don't feel confident. I do think Florida covers, though. Let's keep it going. Another SEC opener, and this one I don't think is going to be very competitive. South Carolina at Georgia. Georgia, a 27.5-point favorite. The game is in Athens. And bluntly, this is the first big game for Georgia this season on a national stage. Took care of UT Martin, took care of Ball State. But bluntly, they weren't great against Ball State a week ago. Finished the game. Carson Beck, their starting quarterback, he's been actually very good. 77% completion percentage, taking care of the ball. And I will say, Georgia does seem to have a deep group of wide receivers. Remember, they were very aggressive in the portal this offseason. Dominic Lovett from Missouri, uh, Ra Ra Thomas from Mississippi State, Marcus Rosamy. Uh, Jack Saint is back after being suspended in week one. You have Brock Bowers at tight end. You have Oscar Delp at tight end. So they are spreading the ball around really well. The concern for Georgia, they did not run the ball last week very well against Ball State. How about this? 99 yards on 28 carries. And Georgia enters this week 93rd nationally in rushing. Not ideal. You know what else isn't ideal? South Carolina can't run the ball at all. And they are they have not faced a front like Georgia's. Uh South uh, against North Carolina in week one, they rushed for negative two yards. That's especially concerning because North Carolina really got gashed by Appalachian State last week. And then if you're South Carolina, you go into week two, you say maybe it was just North Carolina, maybe they're better. No, South Carolina averaged under three yards per carry against uh, against Furman last week. And so I'll be blunt. I just don't think this goes very well for South Carolina. One saving grace for South Carolina. Listen, I got to give credit where it's due. I was never a huge Spencer Rattler guy. I actually think he's been really good for them. And I think he's the only thing keeping them afloat and keeping them respectable. 83% completion percentage through two games. I just worry if he's going to get enough help from the run game. One thing worth noting, South Carolina, for whatever reason, credit to Shane Beamer. Seems to be a very good big game coach. Seems to know how to motivate his team. Remember, they they beat Tennessee last year as a double-digit underdog at home. They beat Clemson last year as a double-digit underdog on the road. He actually talked about that in his press conference this week. He basically said, like, look, y'all doubted us twice last year. We took care of business. We don't care about what you guys are saying. But at the same time, I just find it hard to believe. Against this Georgia team, 
that they are going to have any level of success. Georgia, I think they win. I think they win big. I do have my concerns about Georgia just in the bigger picture. Kirby Smart keeping this team motivated for 13 games this season, if you include an SEC championship game. This isn't the one, though. After two pretty quiet weeks, they come out. They're focused. I like Georgia to win. I don't know if I'd take them to cover, but I do think it's something in the neighborhood of like 34-3, to 37-10, something like that. Georgia wins going away. Let's keep it going. One more SEC game that I do want to get to. This one's fascinating. LSU at Mississippi State. LSU a 10-point favorite going into this one on the road. Now, from the LSU perspective, I will say, listen, I know it was bad in week one, and I know you can't take away too much from a game against Grambling State in week two, but they bounced back about as well as you could ask for. 72 points from LSU. And I do think the important thing to take out of that game is a couple things. One, they did reestablish the run game. Logan Diggs, the transfer from uh, Notre Dame, had over 100 yards rushing. And then defensively as well, Harold Perkins, and Brian Kelly talked about this. He said against Florida State in week one, we probably should not have used Harold Perkins the way that we did, which was obviously playing him kind of in that, you know, kind of that spy role for Jordan Travis. Brian Kelly basically acknowledged this week, we got to just let him go find the ball and hit somebody. That's exactly what I expect this week. Mississippi State, on the other hand, is very interesting. And this is a narrative that I very strongly believe. So this is really the first national high-profile game for Mississippi State this year under new head coach Zach Arnett. Let me start by saying RIP Mike Leach. Awful, awful, awful story. We know the details. Um, but from a football perspective, when Zach Arnett took over, he was the defensive coordinator for Mike Leach last year. He did something that I find mind-boggling. He went away from the air raid offense that made them so successful last year. Now, keep in mind, it wasn't as though Mississippi State was terrible. They won nine games a year ago. Nine games a year ago. Beat some really good teams. The only teams that really they weren't competitive against were Georgia and Alabama. And they went completely away from it this year. I find that weird. Will Rogers was one of the most productive quarterbacks in college football last week against Arizona. He only threw the ball 17 times. Do you know that last year in every game they played, he threw it at least 37 times, threw it 17 times, and this offense really struggled against a not very good Arizona defense. And so I get the idea, you're a defensive coach, you want to play complimentary football, you don't want to throw the ball 50 times a game. But now what you're asking to do is out-athlete and out-execute Alabama, LSU, the teams that you play consistently. I just don't get it. I just don't like it. I think it's going to end bad. And the reason you hired Mike Leach in the first place is because you can't just beat Alabama and LSU doing it any which way. You got to be unique. You got to be different. And Zach Arnett's going away from it. And so in terms of this game, look, my best bet in this one, it actually is the under as well. And the reason being is that you know, you the under, by the way, is about 54 and a half. The reason is, um, I don't think Mississippi State's going to be able to move the ball. Now, their defense is pretty good. They had nine tackles for loss against Arizona. Arizona is a pretty high-powered offense. So I suspect that Mississippi State will be able to limit LSU a little bit. But what a weird decision from the Mississippi State coaching staff. Maybe they look wrong. Maybe they make me look dumb, but I don't think they will. Mississippi State... 
Uh, I think it's going to get ugly. I think LSU wins convincingly. I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of something like, uh, I don't know, 24 to 10, 27, 10 LSU. Couple non-SEC games. One, Michigan State hosting Washington. Michigan State, a 16.5-point home underdog. And, of course, that's because of the situation with Mel Tucker. We talked about Mel Tucker on Monday show, on Wednesday show. We don't need to relitigate all of that. We know what's going on. But I do think this is an interesting game from Michigan State's perspective as they host a Washington team, which is number one in the country in pass offense. For those of you who do not know much about Washington, the kid Michael Penix transferred from Indiana last year. He is special. Game one, 450 yards passing, five touchdowns. Game two, only 409 yards passing and three touchdowns. But I'm also curious about this from the Michigan State perspective. Michigan State, their co- their coach is their their interim head coach is a guy named Harlan Barnett. Okay, Harlan Barnett is like a Miss- a Michigan State legend. He was on Mark D'Antonio's first staff starting in 2007. Okay, you go all the way back to that. He has been at Michigan State for all but two years since 2007. Was there from 20, 2007 to 2019, leaves for two seasons to go to Florida State, and has been back since. He is a guy that loves that school. The fan base loves him. The players love him. I think Michigan State puts out a good effort. It is also worth noting, Michigan State hasn't played anybody this year, Central Michigan and Richmond. But to their credit, believe it or not, that defense is a top 10 defense right now and a top 10 pass defense. Now, they're going to get tested on Saturday in ways that they never have against this Washington team. But to ask Washington to go on the road 3,000 miles in East Lansing is going to be an emotional game. I think Washington wins, but I think Michigan State does enough to cover. It is worth noting, by the way, Michigan State's offense has actually looked pretty good. Remember, their former starting quarterback, Peyton Thorne, transferred in the offseason. Everybody wondered what was going on. He ends up at Auburn. Well, maybe it turns out the guy, Noah Kim, who was competing with him for the job might have just been better. Through two games, he's actually looked very good. Noah Kim, 68% completion percentage, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. By the way, top 10 rusher in the country, Nathan Carter. If that name sounds familiar to you people in Connecticut, former UConn Husky transfer. So Nathan Carter, run game, Noah Kim. I think Michigan State keeps it close. Finally, the only other game I really want to hit on, and again, Next week, we got a loaded slate, so we will get much more into it on the Friday show. We might even have to do a bonus Thursday show. But the only other game I really want to get into is Colorado and Colorado State. And I'm not going to waste too much time. I already like the over in this game to begin with, and I love the over now for everything that we talked about. Jay Norvell, what he said, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was smart, and I think he's going to live to regret those comments. You don't poke the bear. You don't make Coach Prime mad. You don't do things Uh, that are going to piss off the opponent, especially when the opponent has the number two pass offense in all of college football. I think Colorado rolls. I think they put up at least 50 points. I love the over. I got it at 60 and a half really quick. I want to see what it is right now because I would guess that number has gone up throughout the week. Uh, By the way, Colorado State, not very good defense or not very good offensively. I do think it could get ugly for Colorado State. That number is at 61 I think Colorado rolls. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break. When I come back, we'll wrap the show as we do every Friday with where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We'll take a quick break. We will be right back. 
All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. Final segment of the week. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap with America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We do it every Friday to wrap the week. Concept of the segment is pretty straightforward. Yes, I did steal this from my buddy, Colin Cowherd. Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong every week. And I decided to bring it to the Air Tours podcast for one very simple reason. It's because over the course of a week, a month, a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, nobody loves giving out more hot sports takes than your boy Torres. And nobody loves telling you what do you get stuff right more than your boy Torres. Torres said this. Torres said that. Torres told you that. Torres said that. I never shut up. And so we do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong every single week to highlight my best takes of the week. But also when I get stuff dead wrong, I got to own it too. And that's exactly what we're about to do now. Trust me, there is a lot of wrong from last week. So let's get to it where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Where Aaron was right. I didn't really get anything right last week. The one thing I did get right, though, was that Colorado was going to roll Nebraska. Colorado destroys them. I think final score was like 36 to 14. And the bottom line is, listen, while a lot of people in the media have whiffed on this Colorado thing, I'm one of the few that got it right. I thought Shador would be pretty good. I thought the skill positions would be pretty good. I thought they could beat TCU. I thought they would beat Nebraska. And that is exactly what we've seen so far. Now, look, the schedule is going to get tougher going forward, starting next week with Oregon. But this team is better than most people wanted to give them credit for. Talent on the edge or, or talent on the outside offensively. Great quarterback, great coaching. They have their limitations, but still, at the end of the day, this is something I've been telling you since the winter time in the portal. Coach Prime's going to find talent. Coach Prime's got a quarterback, and this team is going to be more competitive than we thought. As I said on Monday's show, at this point, if Colorado does not make a bowl game, it would be a colossal disappointment. I think they're probably about a 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five team, and who knows? Maybe they can beat a Utah or an Oregon State down the road, but this team has still exceeded everyone's expectations pretty much except for me. Where Aaron was wrong. All right, let's get into it. Texas Longhorns. Listen, I'm the guy on this show last week that said that Texas was going to lose at Alabama and Alabama was going to cover. The bottom line was I didn't trust this team on the road. Steve Sarkeesian never won more than eight regular season games as a college head coach. I was just dead wrong. Texas was every bit the team that Alabama was just as talented, just as many dudes in the trenches. And obviously they had the better quarterback and the better skill position guys. And so when it comes to Texas, I was wrong. And now I don't even know what this team's ceiling is. They are going to be a favorite in every single game that they play going forward. I think they will be a pretty significant favorite in every game other than maybe Oklahoma. And they are going to have this win at Alabama to hang around their neck all season long as kind of like a, even if they take a weird loss here and there, it's like, yeah, but they won at Alabama. So credit to Texas, credit to Steve Sarkeesian. I just completely whiffed on that. They are better than I thought. They're more exciting than I thought. They're mentally tougher than I thought closing out that victory. Credit to Sark, credit to Texas. They deserve to win. Where Aaron was right. So again, I didn't get much right in the last couple of days, but one thing that I have gotten right from the start of the year, Sam Hartman was my preseason Heisman pick, and he is absolutely balling. Through three games at Notre Dame, how about this for, for, for stats? 77% completion percentage, 10 touchdowns, no interceptions, 
And oh, by the way, last week in the rain, North Carolina State, good opponent, tough venue, weird game in the rain. As I just said, there's lightning delays and he's unflappable. Four touchdowns leads Notre Dame to victory. Now, listen, the schedule does get tougher going forward starting next week with Ohio State. But I look at Notre Dame's schedule outside of when you play Caleb Williams at USC. Who do you not have a better quarterback then? You're going to Clemson with the better quarterback later in the year. You're going to host Ohio State next week, and they will have the better quarterback, they being Notre Dame, not Ohio State. And so I just bring it up because I was dead right on Sam Hartman. He has taken Notre Dame to a different level. You start looking at that schedule. I think they can win any game on their schedule, and I think this is a team at the end of the year that could be competing for a playoff. Got Sam Hartman right, but where Aaron was wrong on quarterbacks, Quinn Ewers. We just talked about Texas. It is worth mentioning Quinn Ewers and the performance that he had on Saturday in Tuscaloosa. Like his coach, Steve Sarkeesian, I never saw it with Quinn Ewers. As I said, 56% completion percentage last year, 15 touchdowns. These weren't Heisman Trophy numbers. These weren't number one draft pick numbers or, or first round draft pick numbers. But then he goes to Tuscaloosa. He throws a couple bombs and he is just a phenomenally talented quarterback and it all came together last week. And so when it came to Quinn Ewers, I went from, I don't think he can win big games to now. I would take him in the first round if I needed a quarterback. I'm not taking him ahead of Caleb Williams. I'm not taking him ahead of Drake May. I'm probably not even taking him ahead of Shador Sanders. But is he a first round talent? Is he a guy that I think is better than some quarterbacks in the NFL right now? It sounds crazy. I'm a believer. I saw it. The skills came together with the hype on Saturday. Quinn Ewers. Texas so much better than I thought. Let's keep it going where Aaron was right. I actually want to switch gears to the NFL really quick. And something I was on earlier than most, we can go back about a year and change. If you remember in the summer of 2022, so going into last football season, the Buffalo Bills were the favorites in Vegas to win the Super Bowl. And what I said at the time was, I don't ever remember a team that has actually won less getting more hype than the Buffalo Bills. Remember, they were coming off that narrow loss in over to, or, uh, against Kansas City in the, the second round of the AFC playoffs. But coming into the last season, this was a team that had never won a Super Bowl, had never even played in a Super Bowl. They made the AFC Championship game three years ago where they got destroyed, and instead they were getting all this hype off of a close loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. And so I said, I get why people like Buffalo, but at some point, you got to show me what you can do. And it's all basically been downhill since then. Last year, you lose in embarrassing fashion at home to the Bengals in the playoffs. And then we all saw what happened Monday night. On the road, Aaron Rodgers goes down. That's obviously just an awful, awful, awful situation. But at the same time, if you're the Buffalo Bills and you are a Super Bowl contender, once Zach Wilson steps into that game, that's a game that you got to win. Instead, Josh Allen... Interse uh, three interceptions. He had the crucial fumble late. Buffalo struggled to move the ball. I'm out on Buffalo until further notice. I don't buy them. I don't get it. I was right on this team all along. Where Aaron was wrong. You know what I was wrong on for sure? The Texas A&M Aggies. And it's so wild. A week ago, I thought, okay, I don't hate Jimbo Fisher as much as anybody else. I don't think he's perfect. But Bobby Petrino's got things going in the right direction. Talent is there. They go to Miami. And they just got embarrassed. And the thing that stands out to me 
I said it on an interview in College Station on on Thursday morning. David Nuno, the host there, buddy of mine, says, "How how angry are you at the Aggies?" And I said, "Texas A and M to me, it's not the I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm throwing stuff. Texas A and M right now, it's like when you do something dumb when you're a kid, and you think your parents are going to yell and scream and break stuff, and they say, Aaron, John, Billy, whatever your name is, I'm not even mad." I'm just disappointed. That's how I feel about Texas a and I'm not mad. I know what they are. I know what they aren't. I know what they're capable of. I know what they're not. But I thought this team was different. I thought they were going to change the narrative. I thought they were going to win 8, 9, 10 games. I thought they were maybe the second best team in the SEC behind Alabama. Well, as it turns out, many of the same problems as last year. Offensive line can't block. Tackling is a mess. I am worried about this team. I am worried about this program. And as we discussed on Monday, I think it will be fascinating to see what ends up happening with this team going forward. You can't move forward with Jimbo Fisher, but you can't really afford to fire him. Have absolutely no idea what to expect, but a fascinating deal in AM that I was dead wrong on. Finally, let's wrap with two NFL topics where Aaron was right. Brandon Staley. I've called Brandon Staley coach spreadsheet for the last two years. I don't trust them. I don't trust guys that are blindly loyal to analytics. But you know who I trust less than the guys who are blindly loyal to analytics? The guys who say they're blindly loyal to analytics, who then backtrack the second there's controversy. And so I thought Brandon Staley should have been fired after the meltdown against the Vegas Raiders in week 17, two seasons ago, week 18, I guess. Then last year, I definitely thought he should have been let go after that Jaguars meltdown in the playoffs. Well, fast forward to Sunday when they played the Miami Dolphins. As usual, Justin Herbert's good enough. The offense is good enough. Brandon Staley, who's the defensive guy, was the defensive coordinator with the Los Angeles Rams. Defensive background, 36 points they allowed to the Miami Dolphins. The Los Angeles Chargers end up losing. Don't like Brandon Staley. Don't trust Brandon Staley. Think they should have fired him last year. Go hire Sean Payton. The Chargers took the cheap way out, and they are paying the consequences. Finally, where Aaron was wrong, and listen, I got to say this, is that uh, as bad as the Chargers were, the Dolphins are phenomenal if Tua can stay healthy. And I think I forgot and underestimated how good Tua is and how good he can be uh, when you have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle at right wide receiver. We all watched that game on Sunday. Obviously, me living in LA, it was the local game in the local market. How about this from Tua? 466 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. The guy balled out. Now he's got to stay healthy. Got to stay on the field. I wish him nothing but the best. But when he's on the field with those wide receivers and his accuracy, that team has a chance to be special. Looking at the AFC East, Jets without Aaron Rodgers, the Bills we just talked about, I think this Miami team has a chance to win the division and have a very, very high seed come playoff time. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. I do think it is time for me to get out of here. What a show. How about this Friday? So much going on, so much to discuss, and I appreciate everybody's support. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. Appreciate everybody's support. 
and I will be back on Monday. Shout out to Torque. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you FN. Unblock me, bro. I'll be back on Monday. New episode of the Aerotaurus Pod. By the way, help control the pet population. Have your pet spayed or neutered. RIP Bob Barker. Goodbye, everybody. Be back on Monday.